Welcome to the first annual Dead Carpet Awards. I'm Ricky J. Duarte, the host of Rick or Treat Horrorcast. And I'm Kevin Lane, the host of Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. We're also your hosts for this very special collaborative episode. That's right. Kevin and I have worked together to produce our very own awards ceremony, honoring the often overlooked but immensely incredible achievements within the horror genre. We've worked very hard on this project, from generating a list of nominees to having literal hours-long discussions, painstakingly deciding the ceremony's winners. We've both put in a lot of effort to bring you all this very special episode, and we've decided that because it's been such a passion-fueled cross-collaboration, we're both releasing the episode on our own separate shows, which I think is pretty exciting. But before we get into that, Kevin, why don't you tell my listeners all about your show? Happy to. Uh, so Spill Your Guts is a sort of deep dive conversation with the sort of best and brightest creatives in the horror field. We've got directors, writers, actors, the novelists, musicians, podcasters, kind of a wide gambit, but the focus is mostly on uh, film, on, on genre film. So primarily we we tend to sit down mostly with with filmmakers and chat about their careers, their the highlights, the ups and downs. And the show has a bit of a soft focus on sort of providing information and, and and sort of anecdotes and sort of behind the scenes knowledge on filmmaking and the filmmaking process and particularly of course in our beloved horror genre so it's um yeah we're on our second season we've got some great guests lined up um i'm pretty excited for some of the surprises we've gotten in store this season and uh and for all of you uh, who are going to be maybe checking out the show for the first time, um, you know, check out the most recent episode and then just go back to the very beginning and listen to it all in, in uh, one sitting. Yeah. And now, Ricky, why don't you go ahead and tell anyone who's listening on my channel about your show? I'd love to. First, I do want to say to my listeners, go check out Spill Your Guts. It truly is a remarkable, remarkable podcast. He has some of the coolest guests in the horror genre. It's it's pretty impressive. It's something that I aspire to be one day. As far as my show goes, Rick or Treat Horrorcast is a creepy and spooky horror movie podcast with a bit of a queer angle to it when it's appropriate. We discuss horror movies and horror TV shows. We break them down beat by beat and analyze and judge and laugh and have a really great time. I have a different guest host every single week. And I've had some pretty great ones, and I've got some really exciting ones lined up as well. It's been a real exciting project for me, and I'm really happy to have made all these friends that I have along the way, including Kevin. Aww. <laughs> Kevin and I hit it off pretty quickly. We both launched our podcasts around the same time last fall and found each other on social media. We figured out pretty quickly that we shared a lot of the same passions and opinions when it comes to horror and decided we wanted to work together on a project. Well, first of all, thank you, Ricky, for your lovely comments on uh, on the show and, uh, you know, doing your show. I guess it was I don't know when this comes out, it will be a month or so ago. We chatted about the uh, eternal classic Fright Night. Would you please say it as as you say it on the episode? Yes, I will. It's um, Fright Night. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it was so much fun. It was a blast. Uh, and, and it's fun to sort of just tune into your show and hear your love and just 
unabashed uh, passion for the genre and and the and the films. So it's uh for any horror fans out there, it's an easy recommendation. Yeah, it was pretty easy to see very early on that Ricky and I had a lot in common beyond just an obsession with horror and a distaste for your average award ceremony. It's important to recognize and uplift artists, but a mainstream ceremony comes with their own set of biases and a lot of favoritism, not to mention a near complete neglect of our beloved genre. For a genre that generates hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office year after year, it seems insane not to recognize it for all its glory. A lot of hard work goes into making these films, and it's time they're recognized. Horror films raked in nearly $700 million in 2022, from blockbusters like Smile and Nope to unexpected sleepers like Terrifier 2. Two things that are very clear, going to a movie theater is back, and people really love being scared. Kevin, what do you think it is about horror movies that continues to draw moviegoers in again and again year after year? I think it's, you know, it's funny. The genre has had such an interesting evolution. It's, you know, something that I'm always fascinated about, even on the show, but but just also in my personal life as a fan and, and looking at the evolution of the genre and, and how it's sort of gone from being sort of a, you know, a bit of a, a marginalized genre in, in, in film to being, you know, kind of a, the most surefire success at the box office. And I think it has a lot to do with one, like there's been a real... Um, movement on some level over the last i don't know <laughs> 20 years to to take horror away from being this kind of niche genre and position it as a as a genre that has room for every type of filmmaker and every type of actor and it isn't you know um, necessarily just the formulaic stuff that i think people in the past wanted to summarize it as being so i think there's been a real trend of of horror kind of um every year showing that it's a space that that filmmakers can really explore a lot of different things in and i think our horror always has been that if you go back to filmmakers like romero who were who were talking about you know some pretty big questions in their films um craven carpenter all these guys the masters of horror we're asking big questions and horror has been one of the the genres that allows for that on top of being a hell of a lot of fun so you know you get movies like scream or the new Halloweens that are just a blast to see in a theater with an audience full of people. But then you get the work of Jordan Peele or, um, you know, a lot of the the stuff that we're seeing from guys like Robert Eggers. And um, it's, it's just, there's such a gambit of, of, of different approaches people can take to their, to their projects within the genre. And I think audiences have come to rely on horror at the box office for being a lot more original than the stuff that might have $200 million budgets and, be based on say a comic book not specifically for example <laughs> um so i think it's you know when you've got a movie like look at something like terrifier 2 which was made for you know the stylistic budget of some of the other movies that were playing the theaters beside it and the, the financial success it had or something like smile which was made by a first-time director and and clobbered the box office like it, for the studios it's just good business and for the audiences I think it's exciting to see, you know, some of these big filmmakers sort of finding their legs in the genre and and uh, and creating stuff that, that, again, you know, you get these these fun horror films, but then you get, you know, these very thoughtful, very character driven. There's just such a wide spectrum going on in the genre right now. And I think the days of people looking at horror as um, something closely akin to just being exploitive or or sort of schlock cinema are long over and, and, and horror is very much in the mainstream now and, and entered the zeitgeist of being considered legitimate as any other genre. 
I think you made some incredible points. I completely agree. I think that more than any other genre, horror reflects the zeitgeist of what is happening in the world at the time that it comes out. I think that's why 70s horror is so uh, representative of that time frame. You look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you've got Viet post-Vietnam, you've got a gas shortage, you've got these tired and um, sort of jaded but youth who think that they know everything, they go in with this confidence, right? It's also talking about the loss of industry. Whereas the 80s, everything's excess. Everything is over the top and uh, there are no rules almost when it comes to making these films. There's censorship, but weird shit was getting greenlit, right? <laughs> Wes Craven said a lot, people go to horror, not just to be scared, but for catharsis. I just heard Heather Langenkamp say, people also go for a vicarious aspect of it as well to see yourself kind of as the bad guy, right? I think coming out of a worldwide disaster, right? People are coming in to a new kind of a new world and a new way of life. And I think that a lot of people are turning to horror as if they're writing it or producing it, we're getting a lot of interesting things happening and people are going because it's a way of dealing with what we've all been through. And so I think that that adds a lot to why people are going and depending on horror right now and why we're getting so much good horror. 2022 had some remarkable horror that we did not see coming at all. And so that's kind of what inspired us to put together this episode. Speaking of the episode, Kevin, why don't you talk a little bit about why we called this ceremony the Dead Carpet Awards? So of course it's, you know, a play on words sort of thing to sort of let the audience know that, uh, that one, this is not a sort of a stuffy black tie event. Uh, Rick and I are, are, are not wearing tuxedos right now. I'm um, in a pet cemetery t-shirt. <laughs> I'm wearing a shirt that says aloe with the little worm from Labyrinth. So yeah. Super um, casual. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's important for just recognition to be given to the filmmakers that are making these incredible films. And, and you know, things like the Oscars and the Golden Globes are still caught up in a sort of a, a, I think a backwards looking approach to recognizing talent. And uh, so this is a chance to sort of create something that for us, for, for Ricky and I gives us a chance to sort of acknowledge the incredible works of, of all the creative people that, that put out so many incredible films this year. And so the Dead Carpet Awards title came from obviously a playoff, you know, the whole red carpet thing. And we wanted to sort of just let everyone know right off the bat that 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 we're having fun with the tropes of your standard award awards ceremony. And, you know, that's everything from you know, sort of the the approach to how we're presenting the, the awards and, and how we decided on who to grant awards to and the music that has uh, been so beautifully crafted for us by the incredible composer mr mike haddon mike's a composer i've worked with as a filmmaker for uh, gosh 20 years now um he's done pretty much everything i've made he's scored and so it was obvious to me when we were putting this together that that's the first place i was going to go so thank you mike for your uh, incredible talent and your uh, your commitment to me <laughs> <laughs> He did a great job and I'm really grateful to have had him on board for this project. We also uh, had another designer working with us. Ricky Mestri created our statuette. If you follow us on social media, or if you're able to see the episode art for the episode you're listening to, you will see the Dead Carpet Award statuette. It is a severed foot from the knee down in a high heel shoe standing on a red carpet. 
course, the foot and leg are gold because it's an award ceremony, but it's another way of just, first off, it looks cute. Second off, taking a piss at stuffy old school award ceremonies. Uh, so thank you to Ricky Mestri, very good friend of mine, very close and, and wonderful friend of mine for designing that for us. Yeah, I love it. So much fun. It's great. It's it's excellent. This is definitely going to be an annual affair. I think so. Yeah, it, it has to be, or um, or or we'll have to just keep doing it, and and we'll just not record it. We'll just do it for each other. <laughs> I think we should record it. I think we're pretty funny together. Okay, fine. Kevin, what do you say we go ahead and discuss some of the biggest hits in horror last year? Let's do it. So, Rick, as we've been talking about, it was a huge year for horror this past year. We saw the return of some old faces, the birth of some new ones. Um, it was great to see, you know, the Predator was back in action this year, and we'll all see him again soon when he returns for The Flash. You know, Hollywood actresses have always felt pressure to appear younger on screen, but some are saying Orphan First Kill star Isabella Furman took it a little too far. <laughs> We got a very important and poignant horror biopic this year, Barbarian, about the life of Harvey Weinstein. Speaking of Barbarian, believe it or not, the makeup design for the mother was actually inspired by Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> oh no, Marjorie, no. <laughs> Audiences had some very strong opinions about the British horror film Men prompting another famous Brit, J.K. Rowling, to write a new screenplay in response, a movie called Women. <laughs> it's too bad Glenn Close didn't make a horror movie this year because Meryl Streep didn't either, so she may have actually won this time. Aww. I really want her to get all, all the awards, though. She deserves it. She, yeah. hasn't, she has one coming up this year, so maybe she'll win next year. All the awards for Glenn, folks. All the awards. And I want Glenn and Meryl Streep and Sally Field to make a horror film together. Oh, God. Can you imagine? <laughs> a remake of The Witches of Eastwick, but it's about women in their more mature years. Yeah. I'm. Oh, my God. I'm so bien. I mean, speaking of women in their more mature years, Interview with a Vampire was back this year. And it's uh, important to clarify, it's based on Anne Rice's books. It's not a biopic on Megan Fox. And I know there's been some confusion about that with the, the blood drinking and such. Ugh, Machine Gun Kelly is so weird. Uh, ru <laughs> rumors are circulating again about a Beetlejuice sequel, which would take us back to the netherworld to meet a whole new cast of dead characters. Alec Baldwin is slated to return, stating, I can't believe they're giving me another shot. You suck. Jordan Peele released his third box office hit this year, but it was not without its naysayers. Kevin, do you think Jordan Peele's movies are too, quote, black? Nope. <laughs> Good answer. I see what you did there. Do you like that? Yeah. Yeah. No. I love that movie, though. What a great so movie. No. Nope. So good. So good. Uh, special effects master Phil Tippett's stop motion masterwork, Mad God, was released this year which pissed off former U.S. President Donald Trump because he had to change the name of his memoirs. <laughs> Kevin, 
I had no idea you were so knowledgeable about American politics. Okay, all right, all right. I got one more joke. Are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. Kevin, Kevin, do you want do you want to hear my joke? Mm-hmm. Halloween ends. That's it. That was the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, for the record, I liked that movie, but I did too. But come on, that one's for the people. It's not great. (laughs) That was for you, listeners. Controversial take. Okay, well, I guess we better get going here. We have a lot of uh, movies and and creative people to acknowledge and and horrors to. We have such sights to show you. Um. Okay, here we go. So as we've mentioned before, we really did put in many, many hours planning this first annual Dead Carpets Award ceremony. Before we get things started, though, we thought we'd take a moment to describe the process behind this cross-collab. After deciding we wanted to honor the greats of the genre, we began the daunting task of reviewing the horror films and TV shows that came out this past year. That's right. Now, this meant taking a painstaking look at the most outstanding contributions to the genre. This included scouring best of lists, rewatching a ton of movies, keeping an eye out for unsung underdogs, and recognizing the achievements of some of the artists that went unnoticed even within horror-specific circles. In order to qualify for a nomination, the movie or show had to be released in a readily available format within the year 2022. If a movie was released in festivals but not via accessible venues, it wouldn't be considered. For example, if a movie premiered at a festival in 2022 but will not receive a publicly accessible release until this year, it'll have to wait until the next year to be considered for a nomination. Which makes total sense because while you and I receive screeners due to the nature of our work, humble brag, we also want to make sure that you, the listeners, are able to be a part of the conversation as well. After we decided on our nominees, we discussed each category at length. Like, like literally at length. We had a Zoom meeting, all of them several hours long, a lot of caffeine consumed, analyzing and discussing each category and the nominees within them until we came to an agreement on who the winner should be. That was not easy. While Kevin and I do share many of the same tastes and opinions, we were bound to disagree or even have trouble deciding which nominee deserved to win. For the most part, we were able to come to an agreement in a respectable, peaceful manner. However, in the event of a complete impasse, we did engage in a heavy metal, spiked leather-clad, punk biker chainsaw fight, just like in that Panos Cosmatos movie, Mandy. We, we didn't do that. I uh, My days of skin-tight leather are over. No, we did. We did. We put on some crazy spiky armor, and we shoved our faces in cocaine and set a bunch of stuff on fire, and we revved up our chainsaws and battled until there was only one of us. Two men enter, one man leave. There was so much blood. This, this is this is all in Rick's head. I lost a tooth. No, you didn't. You're missing an arm. Stop. You're no fun. Chainsaw fights are not fun. Tell that to Nicolas Cage. Whatever. Now, also, just a note about spoilers. We're not going to actively attempt to outright spoil movies for anyone. Yeah, we're not going to purposely giving away the endings or any kind of like mean spirited spoilers or whatever. But. Uh... But we're also not going to censor ourselves. We'll be having detailed conversations about the winners in order to honor and appreciate why they won. And in order to do that, we're going to speak freely. So if you looked at our list of nominees and there's something on here you're worried about being spoiled, probably watch the movie first. Or just, you know, say fuck it and risk it anymore. Also, it's March. You've had two and a half months to catch up. Stop being late. (laughs) And an entire year. Anyway, there you have it. Kevin, should we get to the ceremony? I think so. Without any further ado, 
Rick or Treat Horror Cast. And Spill Your Guts presents the, the first, first annual Dead Carpet, Carpet Awards. Awards. Come on, let's go. I'm a fucking star. Do you think you can fucking kill me? Open the goddamn door. Esther, don't you dare. I'm sorry, was I driving too fast? You must be Esther. How do you know she can't get in here? Shit, I've been living in this place more than 15 years, and she ain't never came in this motherfucker. I can get away, but you're gonna have to slow her down. Hey! Come get your baby! I will not accept a life I do not deserve! Ain't nobody gonna get what we gonna get. What we gonna get? The shot. What shot? The shot. The money shot. Undeniable, singular, the, the Oprah shot. The Oprah shot? No, I'm a star! Please, I'm a star! Our first award goes to the best supporting performances of 2022. Now, this was an extremely challenging category for us. This might have been one of the earlier mentioned chainsaw fight type moments, I think. Um, because there were so many incredible supporting performances and so many incredible films in this past year. But uh, ultimately, I think we were able to find our way through all these incredible performances and select the two best supporting performances for 2022. The nominees for best supporting performance are Jenna Ortega for Scream, Ethan Hawke for The Black Phone, Rory Kinnear for Men, Brandon Perea for Nope, Brittany Snow for X, Julia Stiles for Orphan, First Kill. DeWanda Wise for Jurassic World, Dominion. Tandy Wright for Pearl. Justin Long for Barbarian. David Howard Thornton, Terrifier 2. Tim Roth, Resurrection. Jamie Clayton, Hellraiser. Ray Fiennes, The Menu. Mark Rylance, Bones and All. Rachel Sennett, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. The winners... For Best Supporting Actor are Justin Long for Barbarian and Mark Rylance for Bones and All. I loved these performances so much. Talk about subverted expectations from these actors. Incredible. I mean, I, I think it was this was so difficult. I just, I mean, so many incredible performances, so many incredible actors. Some of these actors, newer faces like I, I, DeWanda Wise in Jurassic World, Dominion blew me away. It was so great to see her like just stand out among this incredible cast of familiar faces from a beloved franchise you know it was david howard thornton just like killing it literally in terrifier <laughs> 2 with just like the most physical demandingly kind of no dialogue it's just, yeah tim roth in resurrection the ability to terrify everyone with like a glance so much good stuff and tandy wright in pearl as pearl's mom is remarkable they're seen together in the dining room is instantly just iconic. I know that word's overused. And honestly, Julia Stiles in Orphan First Kill did not see that coming at all. And she, I, her, she's just so cold and quick and mean. But when it came to the two most impactful performances, why don't we talk about Justin Long first from Barbarian? I love Justin Long. I think he's a wonderful actor. And he's been so committed to the genre. I mean, he's he's done a lot of great genre films. But it was... His performance in Barbarian was just uh, unapologetically 
what a dick. Like, it was such a, uh, like, you couldn't stand this guy, but it was impossible to take your eyes off of Justin Long in that film. I, I It was just such a, a an assured, brilliantly crafted performance of a real prick. Total prick. And, you know, when I see Justin Long in a movie, I instantly, it's just, I know, I feel safe. I know he's enjoyable. He he can play the total asshole or he can play the sweet, loving, like good guy. He's, he's got this ability to go in between and the in between is what worked for Barbarian. Like from the moment with the tape measure where when we first see uh, Georgina, uh, is it Georgina Campbell uh, walk through the tunnel and she's terrified and you know, she's, she's walking with caution. And then he's just strolling through with a tape measure, you know, showing the way that a man walks through the world versus a woman from the moment that he answers the phone and his friend calls and he says, hello, faggot. Like he's just so unlikable and yet he's Justin Long. So you want to like him. Yeah, I think it's sort of, you know, it, it is kind of against type for, for Justin Long, who who typically is um, quite a likable presence in the film. And here it was almost jarring for me when I realized kind of where he was going with this performance. And But it, it's such a testament to the performance that at no point, did I ever feel like he wasn't finding all the right beats to create just, I think a lot of actors when they play a character like this are trying to find some way to keep the audience from actually disliking them. They want to play a jerk, but they still want you to like them. And Justin Long didn't do that here. He was completely okay with you really despising him. And I think that was sort of the inroad for this performance to really stick out was you really had to hate this fucking guy. I really also appreciate that he continues to return to horror. Of course, he got his start in the genre with Jeepers Creepers, he starred in Tusk. He's in this. He did an episode of Creep Show. He, he appreciates the genre. I think he enjoys it. Yeah, I think he. It's. I. I think there's no question that he has real affection for the genre. And in, in interviews and stuff, he's he's discussed. You know why he keeps coming back to it. So you know, I think he's he's entered the pantheon of the uh, of the, of the great screen kings. And as far as our other winner, Mark Rylance in Bones and All as Sully is so just bizarre, I think is the word. He does this incredible job at his introduction in the film. You know something's off and yet you you don't, you can't figure out for sure what his intentions are. And he he does this incredible job of, of camouflaging himself within the role. He's unrecognizable. His voice work is so fucking spooky and as the film goes on, he just becomes more and more menacing and scary. And I mean, in such a remarkable film that the film is hard to define itself, you know, skirting the line between gory horror and sweeping romance and, you know, story about kind of being an other, or, you know, I think it's a big allegory for the queer experience personally. Yeah. I think it also fulfills that sort of um, kind of, it's almost sort of in that folk horror realm where, where it's so much about, you know, a journey and across, you know, wide sweeping landscapes and, 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 and humanizing the victims of, of the cannibals, you know, they're, they're not sort of faceless victims. Um, but, you know, it, we talked about just along giving such a surprise performance in Barbary and seeing Mark Rylance in Bones and all give this kind of performance is not a surprise to me because Mark Rylance is, you know, this is another term that gets overused, utterly brilliant. I yes. mean, he's such a, <laughs> he's so reliably reliably great in everything he does. And um, I was so excited for him to kind of, he hasn't done much horror. I don't know if he's done any, nothing comes to mind, but um, 
to see him do a genre film and find the humanity in such a monstrous character. Um, I, it was it was just such a an incredible just again you you just can't take your eyes off of him in this yeah. I think the movie there's a lot of it's about loneliness in a lot of ways and how people deal with it and the way that he deals with his loneliness versus how our heroes deal with it you know is kind of realistic in in a heightened reality sort of film you know you can either kind of turn into a monster or you can hold out hope and and try to find your tribe you know and he even though he tries to find a tribe you know he he fucks it up <laughs> he's just yeah He's just scary. Oh, he's so scary. I'm creeped out thinking about him. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's such a... It's funny, he's, again, as an actor who, who's got the capability of, of giving such a, a warm, um, endearing performance. And, and and this performance is both. It's, it kind of starts that way. He's he's awkward. He's strange, but there's something endearing about him. His quirks feel lived in. We've all met strange people uh, that had quirks, you know, sort of similar to this to this character. Hopefully not too much like this character but uh to and, and the evolution of of where the character goes uh which i shan't get too into uh here but um yeah remarkable remarkable i think a lot of it comes from his uh training as a, a stage and theater actor he's a he's a shakespearean actor as well and i think that adding kind of the ability to go from that heightened uh um style of performance is well utilized in this because he take he's still heightened and yet so subtle, if that makes any sense at all. It does. Well, our next category is for best cinematography. There were some beautiful looking films this year. It's clear that there were a lot of great collaborations in the movies of 2022. Our nominees for best cinematography are Elliot Rocket for Pearl and X, Rob Hardy for Men, Hoyt Van Hoytema for Nope, Douglas Koch, for Crimes of the Future, and Arseny Kakaturin, <laughs> shut up, <laughs> and Arseny Kakaturin for Bones and All. And the winner is Hoyt Van Hoytema for Nope. What a beautiful film. This was a movie that needed to be seen in a movie theater on a big screen, preferably IMAX. The scale of this valley that the ranch is in is beautifully shot from from close-up moments of actors very subtle performances to the sweeping giant shots of our of of the sky uh to the the incredible moments where they're attempting to capture this creature it's a beautiful beautiful movie to look at when the setting and location could have been a little boring I think it's it's always exciting to see when a director and a cinematographer uh, just you know are the are, are totally in sync and have this wonderful creative collaboration because it's always evident when you see the film and I think it's really clear that in Nope, uh, Jordan Peele and Hoyt Van Hotema had an incredible dynamic because this movie is the perfect synergy of a director's vision matched with the great eye of an incredible cinematographer. I mean, it's every shot is carefully staged and constructed and, and conveys whatever the intention is to an incredible degree. I mean, it's Jordan Peele's movies always look great. And, uh, but I think in terms of just sheer scope, this is his biggest film and wow, is it ever big? I mean, just, you know, you're right when you're dealing with, these wide landscapes of the desert, you know, not a lot of 
color typically other than a blue sky and you know yellow dirty sand um and it's amazing that this movie keeps such an interesting design and palette for uh for what could have been sort of something that, that looks so stark. Uh, it's it's an incredibly beautiful film. There's nothing but beauty in this film. And from the performances to the direction and especially the cinematography. Our next award is for Best Makeup Creature Effects. The nominees are Damien Leone for Terrifier 2, John Russell for Hellraiser, Ludmil Ivanov for Barbarian, Sarah Rubano for X, Jonathan Nolan, Jurassic World Dominion, Alec Gillis for Prey, Gustav Hogan and Connor O'Sullivan for Hatching. The Dead Carpet Award goes to Lumel Ivanov for Barbarian. Now, I think it's so difficult to create a unique kind of um, uh, creature that feels like we haven't seen it a hundred. There's been so many great creatures throughout horror history. It, it's I think it must be an incredible challenge to to come up with something that feels different and carry your own take on it and i i won't spoil it here even though you people should fucking have seen barbarian by now um i will just say that it's one of my favorite monsters in a long time and just the design of this monster by ivanov is beyond reproach it's such an incredibly you know there's no point where it looks rubbery or like the performer when it was limited in some way it's just such a well-realized creature um and 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 the movie would not work as well as it does without the, the incredible creature work i think one of the things that works so well with the creature and the mother in barbarian is that this creature looks realistic looks like something that could be alive right heightened for sure but also in in the world of this movie and what she is truly looks possible i i do believe and this is going to sound real real cheesy that this is a category where literally everyone is a winner from the over the top terrifier to that bedroom scene uh, i was just thinking that you're totally yeah yeah to the 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 cenobites and hellraiser right you're taking something that we've seen ingrained in our minds and you're just doing something new with it the old age makeup in X, the incredible creature work in, in Jurassic World Dominion, that people don't realize that most of that was animatronics. They went back to kind of the old school way of making these movies. Uh, same with Prey. A lot of people don't realize the Predator was not CGI. That was an animatronic head that he was wearing. And then hatching using puppetry with CG effects very seamlessly. But as you mentioned, Kevin, Barbarian just... Got it. There's subtlety to the look, and yet it's so extreme. Something about it feels, I mean, so terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. From, from her, from her shocking and very surprising entrance, you know, and until the very final moment of the film, you start out feeling one way about this character, and you finish feeling another way. And I think it has to do with the way a lot of the performance and the way that she looks through that performance as well. Totally. Our nominees for Best International Picture. Now, this is a category that was very, very exciting this year to watch all of these. What I love about international horror films specifically is that it really shows us that fear is a universal emotion. And while different movies are created for different reasons and perhaps speak to the politics of one country or the social norms of another country, the core 
kind of thing that they have in common is that everybody experiences fear. Our nominees for the Dead Carpet Award for Best International Picture are, and total disclaimer, I'm going to do my best with these names. <laughs> Christian Toffdroop, Speak No Evil. Eskil Vogt, The Innocents. Alex Garland, Men. Rob Jabas, The Sadness. Carlotta Pereira, Piggy. And Henna Bergholm for Hatching. The winner of the Dead Carpet Award is Eskil Vogt, The Innocents. This movie takes children, which is not a genre that I'm not, I think that children are creepy enough as it is. So making scary children in a movie <laughs> to me is like putting a hat on a hat. But The Innocence tells a story from the perspective of these creepy children. And that is very effective. The child performances, the cinematography, the use of color and the story itself is truly remarkable. It is a journey watching this movie. Yeah, I think it's amazing to see, you know, we've seen evil kid movies for as long as the genre has existed and, uh, you know, to varying degrees of success. There is something intrinsically scary about, um, you know, the, the sort of uh, evil child thing, whether it's, you know, sort of Children of the Damned or Village of the Damned or, or The Omen or Rosemary's Baby, sort of the innocence, the corruption of innocence is so rife for exploration in the genre but i i think the innocence is a really special movie in in the way that it's um not only did this filmmaker elicit incredible performances for these child actors but it, the movie is so um you know by the time it was over i was sort of tired because it's such an emotional journey that you go through with these kids and and the story of what of of it's a self-discovery story in a way too, right? It, it, on, on on many levels, if you look kind of below the surface of what the story is, it's a lot about these kids finding themselves or not finding themselves. And um, it was, you know, the, these were all incredible films, but The Innocence is a, a movie that has stayed with me for a very long time. It was one that I caught late, actually, and I'm very glad that I did catch it. Uh, these Norwegians know a thing or two about horror and... <sighs> Like I said, telling the story from the perspective of the children adds an entirely new layer because you're not judging the children. You are seeing the way that they see the world. And that is scary. Our next category is for best costume design. The nominees are Mayu Tricariotti for Crimes of the Future, Malgozia Terzanska for Pearl, Stephanie Portnoy Porter for Prey, and Danielle Knox for The Invitation. The Dead Carpet Award goes to Stephanie Portnoy Porter for Prey. This was such an accomplishment. The period costumes were so on point, looked so real and lived in, and you could tell they just carefully designed and constructed every piece of attire that these characters wore. I mean, everything looked, you know, authentic and accurate and lived in. And like it was, and it was so incredibly important to this movie. That, that it be that that and I think Prey was a movie that on some level kind of snuck up on people and 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 because it, you know you get to that stage in a franchise and I think people start to kind of you know they don't know what to expect or but but this movie was such a hit and and a huge part of the texture of this film was the incredible costume design work by Stephanie Portnoy Porter. This film was unexpected just like you said and frankly shouldn't have worked when it was announced it got a lot of snickers. But 
what a brilliant idea to take this frankly tired property and put it in the past, right? Make it period. And the depictions of the Comanche nation, the clothing of the Comanche nation is remarkable. The predator itself looks fucking incredible. I think this is maybe the best that creature has ever looked. And tying the two worlds together was no easy task. And I think that the costumes had a lot to do with that. It's just a beautiful movie to look at in many, for many reasons, but particularly for the costumes. Yeah, I mean, you have a movie with uh, such a strong, uh, incredible performance by a female protagonist up against one of the iconic genre monsters, the Predator. And and as you just said, a, you know, I don't think the Predator, who's a comfort, a monster everybody's comfortable with at this point. We all know the Predator so well. Mm-hmm. He's, he's like, you know, I have um, affection when I see the Predator. To see him feel scary and threatening like this when he's created that that comfort because all of it, a lot of us have sort of grown up with the predator in our lives whether it's in comic books or video games or the toys or whatever you know what i mean it's it's it was such an accomplishment to to find a way to create these characters through the added texture of of this brilliant costume design absolutely it just fucking works and it's an, it's a movie that i revisit it's a rewatch it's so rewatchable absolutely yeah absolutely as we've mentioned many times already there have been some incredible movies from 2022, and a lot of that has to do with some incredible screenwriters. Our nominees for the Dead Carpet Award for Best Screenplay are Scott Derrickson, C. Robert Cargill, and Joe Hill, The Black Phone. Sarah DeLapp, Kristen Rupenian for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Ty West and Mia Goth for Pearl. Ty West for X. Jordan Peele, Nope. Zach Ford, Chloe Okuno for Watcher. Eskiel Vote for The Innocents. Zach Kreger for Barbarian. And Lauren Kahn, Fresh. And the Dead Carpet Award for Best Screenplay goes to Zach Kreger, Barbarian. What an unexpected story. This is a movie that when I saw the poster, I knew instantly I don't want to watch the trailer. I don't want to know anything about this. And I didn't. I went in as blind as possible. I didn't even know who was in this movie. And it's essentially three movies that should not go together that all go together very well. And that has to do with Zach Kreger, who also directed the film. From casting unexpected actors, from Bill Skarsgård, who you want to trust, but he's Pennywise, so you don't know if you should, to Georgie, uh, Georgina Campbell, on uh, never seen her before, remarkable to again, Justin Long, this movie just works. And what I love about it is that it was able to grab hardcore horror fans and kind of the 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 people who are not as invested in horror and both of these worlds loved this movie. Yeah, I think it's a real testament to the screenplay by Zach Prager that, uh, you know, this movie has so many twists and turns and you never know where it's gonna go. And just when you think you do, you're probably wrong. Um, and it never feels like sort of, twists for the sake of twists everything is earned and it's such a well-constructed screenplay um and it's a scary movie like it it takes a lot to freak me out and i was like there were parts of this movie where i was just like oh my god like it's just it's it just works it's such a and it's such a really really well-crafted script brilliant dialogues really funny dialogues some really kind of intense dialogues the, the stuff that characters don't say sometimes being as impactful as what they do but I think really, you know, in, in a, frankly, in a category that is filled with incredible screenplays, I mean, Black Phone, 
Ty Westbrook. Like you just, I mean, look at these nominations. Uh, it's a real testament to the screenplay by Zach Kreger because I think he was able to construct something that felt like something we'd never really seen before. And that's a true statement. Truly never seen before. What a movie. Our next category is for best scripted series. And the nominees are Interview with the Vampire, Slasher, Chucky, Yellow Jackets, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. And the Dead Carpet Award for Best Scripted Series goes to Interview with the Vampire. This is a show that I think caught everybody off guard. I think this was a show that everybody thought they had an idea of what it was going to be because we know the book so well, because we know the Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt film so well. For me, this was a total revelation. I just didn't have any idea that they were going to do something this I don't know, just fresh with 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 a with a, a story that I felt that I knew so well. This felt to me like the first time I'd really discovered these characters. And that's difficult because I've read these books a few times. I've read the comic books. I've seen the movie a bunch of times. I know these characters. But this felt like the definitive interpretation of Anne Rice's iconic series. Completely agree. If I'm honest, I was a little bit shitty before this came out. And I was real judgmental because they were making announcements that were unexpected. And I can go ahead and eat crow because it was fucking good. So good. What a way to update this. What a way to make it relevant. Inspired, perfect casting. Sexy. Sexy as fuck. And not shying away from the relationship between Louis and Lestat. And also not shying away from showing how problematic Lestat is. I mean, he is, you know, he's an iconic character. And but he's flawed, you know, and there is a monstrous side to him. And this series really captured that. Now I loved every show that's nominated. Chucky is my favorite show on television right now. I'm not going to lie about it, but interview with the vampire did something that no one expected. And for that, I have to give it praise. And I'm very excited for this immortal universe where we're going to combine interview with the Mayfair witches. We're getting Anne Rice represented in a way that she deserves to be remembered and a way that she gave her blessing to before she passed and for that i'm very grateful as a fan a big big fan of her work i think it was also really incredible to see a show that had such a strong element of um you know a, a same-sex relationship and uh it was so i was so pleased to see audiences not sort of ghettoizing the movie in some way by saying oh like it's a gay vampire show or some bullshit like that it people really embraced it and uh and accepted the, the core love story at the heart of the series and didn't marginalize it. And, and I, I don't know, it just, it, for a movie or sorry, a series to um, be able to kind of cross some of those boundaries that people draw with what they're, you know, watching on TV or watching in, in film and television uh, so seamlessly without, with, in, in, and show such love and admiration for, for, for the core relationship of the story. Uh, you know, just such a beautiful bit of writing and, and and performance by the actors it's, it's it's it really is a romantic series at its heart you know and with the vampire is really a love story so you know i think they've, they've just captured that so well i can't wait for the uh for the next season same also sam reed has a really beautiful haunting and sexy singing voice <laughs> <laughs> music was a big part of horror this year without a score some movies don't work before halloween's score was added the film was not called frightening in test screens and then as soon as john carpenter's score was added it was terrifying we think of the iconic violin shrieks from psycho 
or the synth spooky atmospheric tones of A Nightmare on Elm Street. This year, our nominees for best score are Suni Colster, Speak No Evil, Tyler Bates and Tim Williams for Pearl, Mark Corvin, The Black Phone, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross for Bones and All, and John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, and Daniel A. Davies for Halloween Ends. The winner of Best Score in a Horror Film is Suni Colster, Speak No Evil. This was an incredible... Listen, this was a category that was an absolute chainsaw fight between me and Kevin. Hardcore chainsaw fight, yeah. Probably the biggest chainsaw fight that we had. We were both really passionate about the movies that spoke to us musically this year. And, you know, the Halloween end score is, in my opinion, the best score of the new trilogy and needed recognition. But it was also a variation on a theme that we've heard before. Bones and All was so moody and so beautiful. The song, You Made It Feel Like Home, is haunting and sad. Speak No Evil, the use of strings. We were both so moved by the scores of these pictures, right? And fucking terrified. And terrified. But Speak No Evil spoke to both of us in just, it's such a haunting, depressing, hopeless film. And the score really bolstered that. Yeah, and it's such a big score. Like it's it's really, you know, has a big feeling to that orchestral quality of sort of, you know, some of the big horror pictures we saw made by big directors like, uh, you know, Freakin' and stuff like that. It just, it has such a, um, I don't know, there's this sweeping quality to this. You know, this is a movie that I think on some level will be, the, the sort of obvious approach would be to do something really low key and creepy. But they went with this very ominous, foreboding sound that I that I thought was just so, you know, jaw dropping. It was just it was it felt it felt old and new at the same time. And it and and for a film that um is pretty bleak, um, I think it helped uh tremendously to aid the storytelling to give it this big musical quality. Our next category is for best film editing. The nominees are Elliot Greenberg for Smile. Nicholas Monsoor for Nope, Joe Murphy for Barbarian, David Kashevarov, Ty West for X, Frederic Torval for Black Phone, Ty West for Pearl. And the winner for Best Film Editing goes to Frederic Torval for Black Phone. This movie terrified me. I think Black Phone was such a scary movie. It is also so wonderfully cut this editor did an just remarkable job of keeping this pace that was so creeping and ominous and there was these cuts that i was like oh they're gonna cut now oh my god it just sort of tortured you in finding the the exact way to, to pull a beat just a little bit longer to make something uncomfortable when it should be to cut earlier than it should be sometimes to feel like you you couldn't predict how the the movie was going to sort of keep its pace Black Phone was one of the scarier films I saw this year. It really affected me. And uh, I think that the tempo of the way this film was edited uh, by Frederick Torval is is a, is a huge part of, of why this movie gets under your skin as much as it does. The Black Phone was the movie everyone was talking about when it came out, and then everyone kind of forgot about it. And I think we really need to keep this movie alive because just like you said, it's fucking scary. And it... it 
it feels like something out of the 80s. And I think that has a lot to do with Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, being uh, the writer of the story it's based on. It has that kind of classic Stephen King feel where it's about children on their bikes in the 80s. You know what I mean? Or, or you know, in a time before ours. It's fucking terrifying. And you're absolutely right. The way that this film is cut is what is one of the things that there's a lot of things that make it scary. The editing is the fucking mask, by the way. Superb. The mask, the performances, the it's just a tense movie. And the tension is really, really built upon by the editing in this movie. It would have worked better if Sally Field was in it. I mean, who would you cast her as? Ethan Hawke's role. You just want her in everything. She just won that Lifetime Achievement Award at, uh, was it was it the SAG Awards? Or did SAG she Awards, that? I think, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a nice speech. It was a lovely speech. She's wonderful. She should be in everything. Everything. <sighs> All right, I'll let her know. Thank you. Do you think she's listening right now? Oh, I hope so. My God. Hi, Sally. I just got so nervous. <laughs> Our next category is Best Documentary Feature or Series. We're in a time right now where the horror genre is being very well documented. We are more able to learn the history of this genre that we love than we ever have been before. And these are the nominees that have contributed to that. Queer for Fear, In Search of Darkness, Part 3, and Pennywise, The Story of It. Our winner of the Dead Carpet Award for Best Documentary Feature or Series is Queer for Fear. What? a fucking unexpected and monumental documentary series this was to i felt seen and validated for years i have tried to explain to straight fucking cisgendered white men that the horror genre is extremely fucking gay <laughs> and they looked at me like i was crazy i didn't have the words maybe to express it in a way that could be understood by people who aren't familiar with this and queer for fear did a remarkable job of showcasing this these truths from queer people it was it's approachable for any audience to watch this and to learn something and i just i was very impressed i hope that there is a continuation of this series just a quick heads up based off the way you said that we to all you heterosexual cisgendered white men out there we we do love you it wasn't rick only sounds mad when that comes up because well he is <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was a little bit harsh. From my lived experience, having tried to talk about this subject matter, I found difficulty. Queer for Fear made me feel a little bit validated. Brian Fuller is such a huge um, champion in, in the genre for not just great storytelling, but I think for, for queer representation. I mean, if you look at all of his work, particularly Hannibal, of course, um, and then through this documentary, you see a, a creative person who's who's made it a huge part of their life to speak on this topic and and educate people on um you know the, the really wide-ranging history that the genre has for queer representation going all the way back to you know very early cinema people like james whale um you know it, it, it i think it's a real testament to to his talent though that's um i knew a lot of this stuff in this documentary and it it felt like there was revelations for me in it still so it's i think it's it's, it's incredibly well shot well directed the interviews are thoughtful and insightful and special. And, uh, you know, this is just a real towering achievement from, from one of the genre's most accomplished creatives. 
I also do recommend watching Pennywise, the story of it and in search of darkness, part three, by the time we got to part three in the in search of darkness series, these documentaries are five to six hours long. What else could they possibly talk about in a third installment? Well, it turns out a lot. I was introduced to a lot of horror films from the eighties that I'd actually never heard of before. And I'm slowly watching them. Uh, a lot of them are available on shutter and uh, they're, they're pretty good and pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Now's the time in our ceremony when we would like to give recognition to not one, but two incredibly impactful artists within the horror genre. We're gonna be talking about some lifetime achievement. We're doing one for behind the camera and one for in front of the camera. Kevin, why don't you go ahead and give uh, our first lifetime achievement award? Our first lifetime achievement award is for acting. We had um, a lot of discussion about who we wanted to choose to name the award after, since this is our first ceremony and uh, this is an annual award show, we wanted to choose someone who's made a massive contribution to the genre uh, as a performer. Also, someone who's going to be leaving behind when they are no longer with us. Uh, an incredible legacy, both as a performer and someone who has earned their role as a icon in the genre. Our award for lifetime achievement in acting is going to be called from this point forward, the Tim Curry Lifetime Achievement Award in Acting. We chose Tim Curry because Tim Curry is exactly that, an icon. I mean, what an incredible presence this actor has always brought to every role whether it's pennywise in the classic miniseries of stephen king's it i have to put a bunch of exclamation marks after this because this i think particular performance has had such an influence on so many young gay folk tim Curry's performance in rocky or picture show is as iconic as it gets and uh, i think it's a performance that for so many people has had a great influence on them in a way that very few performances can. Um, it was such a, you know, there's so many men I've spoken to about this performance, regardless of sexual orientation, that have talked to me about the beauty of Tim Curry in that role. And that word always comes up that he's this beautiful man in that performance. And he is. It's an incredible performance by an actor who, uh, I mean, can you imagine anyone else in that film, in that role? It's impossible. I, I wouldn't want to. No, it's like it's it, and I think Tim Curry, whether it's, you know, uh, under all kinds of prosthetics or, you know, just by using his incredible face in films like Congo, uh, where he's so much fun to watch. I mean, this is this is an actor who brings his A game to everything he does, whether it's a little tiny horror film or a big one. You always get 100 percent from Tim Curry and his range is ridiculous. His ability to create a character that stays with us. So he has so many iconic roles. Uh, and I think his, you know, pioneer status for queer representation in horror cinema cannot be understated. So, um, I'm sorry, cannot be overstated, not understood. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, it, it is such a pleasure to, uh, to choose Tim Curry for our Lifetime Achievement Award in acting. Um, he is a hero of mine, uh, someone I have always 
admired and studied and been so inspired by. So uh, this is this is a a very near and dear to me award to be giving out to to one of my favorite actors. Not to mention his role as Darkness in Legend was a real sexual awakening for me, and I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> so, oh wow! Yeah, it was horny. <laughs> ah, that's funny. You're 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 a funny fellow. Sometimes. Tim Curry, truly a hero, an icon. Thank you, Tim Curry. So our next award uh, for Lifetime Achievement is in the category of filmmaking. Uh, Rick, do you want to sort of tell us about this particular award? I would love to. The Filmmaking Lifetime Achievement Award will also be named moving forward after the artists that we're bestowing it upon. This is a human who is truly one of my heroes and just has had a mind-blowing presence within the horror genre. This is the Don Mancini Lifetime Achievement Award in Filmmaking. From his representation of queer people, starting with, honestly, Bride of Chucky, the character David is the first time I ever saw a gay character in a movie that was not the butt of a joke and was not just unapologetically gay, right? And had he felt fleshed out and he felt real. Sure, he's the gay best friend, but he's like also the gay best friend, right? It's not, it's not for a joke. And... Don didn't stop there. He explored queer themes in Seed of Chucky that may have aged poorly, but he's turned all of that around in the Chucky TV series, which is, I mean, the quote in the very first season where Chucky says, uh, you know, I, I got a gay, uh, I have a queer, I have a queer kid. And he goes, oh, and you're okay with it? Yeah, Jake, I'm not a monster. From that all the way to the use of Glenn and Glenda in season two, it's perfect. He has held the reins to the Child's Play franchise in such an impressive way for all of these years. And he's done a really great job of utilizing every good and every silly aspect of this story and putting them together now in a way that is so fucking satisfying <laughs> if you're watching Jucky. Also, his appreciation for the complete iconic actress, Jennifer Tilly, does not go unnoticed. The Jennifer Coolidge of horror. Yeah. The Jennifer Coolidge of horror. That's a great thing to say. He's a spokesperson for the genre. He is well-respected. And again, truly an absolute hero of mine. I would love to meet him one day. If you're ever listening, Don, thank you for everything that you have done. You are a wonderful filmmaker. You're a great storyteller. You're an excellent writer, a wonderful director, and an all-around great and influential person. So thank you very much, Don Mancini. Yes, Don Mancini is such an amazing individual. I mean, what a what a talent! What a a huge um, sort of inspiration for me as a filmmaker. I mean, looking at you know a a a filmmaker who has stayed with a franchise from the beginning, you know, in the '80s all the way till now, and seen it through so many iterations, and and it's evolved, and he's he's had his he's just this this is his story, and it's being told over his lifetime it's incredible it's such an accomplishment and it's what an iconic character freaking chucky i mean it's astounding and don mancini is really one of the greats of the genre we're so lucky to have him and i can't wait to see what else you do
Our next category is for best director. The nominees are Ty West for X, Ty West for Pearl, Jordan Peele for Nope, Zach Krager for Barbarian, David Cronenberg, Crimes of the Future, Chloe Okuno, Watcher, Scott Derrickson, The Black Phone, Travis Stevens, A Wounded Fawn, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead for Something in the Dirt, Mimi Cave for Fresh, and Luca Guadagnino for Bones and All. The Dead Carpet Award for Best Director goes to Ty West for X. What an incredible feat. I mean, this guy made not one, but two standout genre films in the same year. Created a whole universe with these characters. And an X really found a way to create a new iconic villain in a way that we'd never seen before. It's a movie that's scary. It's funny. It's sexy. It's touching. It's subversive. Ty West's just astute, controlled eye for composition, performance, everything. This 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 film really is Ty West coming to his own as a filmmaker. Someone that everybody has had great affection for for a long time. But I think with X, we saw the summary of all these years working so hard in this genre to create really his his masterpiece. Masterpiece is a great word for it. Completely unexpected. Another one that I saw the posters for and didn't want to watch a trailer. Some instantly iconic imagery, incredible filmmaking, turning the hagsploitation kind of subgenre of horror on its head. I think some people missed that a little bit, but go back and watch it. This is not kind of, it's not coming at the idea of the, the monstrous hag. It's turning it on its head and giving sympathy for that concept. It's just a hell of a movie, a great tribute to 70s exploitation without being a carbon copy or kind of a ripoff. It just feels genuine. It feels like he loves what he's doing and he does. He's given us some incredible work in the past. The House of the Devil and The Innkeepers are very scary, fun, effective films. And I'm so excited to see him get more recognition and kind of wider releases on these pictures. To follow it up instantly with the surprise prequel Pearl was really a feat in today's day and age to make an entire movie and literally no one knew about it gotta give it to ty west can't wait to see what he does with maxine i fucking love x i watched it again just a few nights ago it's so rewatchable and every time i watch it i notice something new yeah it's incredible i mean and it, it's like you know there's an alligator in it <laughs> yeah there is <laughs> and all i need i'm it's uh, yeah it's it, it, you know it's crazy too to think of you know, you really hit the nail on the head. That sort of hag exploitation genre, that sort of the witchy kind of crone, um, to create an empathy and a connection for the audience to that character, and and to actually r remind people that older people have a sexuality and a, and an internal romantic life, and uh, and not sort of make that the the sort of punchline of a joke. Um, you know, it's an incredibly touching film on another level as well. And and this is a category loaded with incredible filmmakers. David fucking Cronenberg. I mean, come on, Jordan Peele. These are great filmmakers. But um, Ty West really, uh, really sh shined very bright this year. And honestly, I want to give a shout out to Chloe Okuno for Watcher because she captured this Hitchcockian sort of vibe in a really effective and wonderful film. 
just as a director to get performances out of, I mean, Micah Monroe is an incredible actor just regardless. And yet, you know, working with Chloe Okuno, she brought to life a really well fleshed out female character who is relatable and understandable. And, you know, it's just a hell of a movie. It's so shocking too. It's such so a, shocking. Yeah. It's such a, it's, it was such a, a surprise for me. I, I, you know, it was a movie that uh, kind of, you know, I've said this a few times with a few of these films, but this is part of the joy of this genre is that these movies that can kind of come out of nowhere and all of a sudden they take you by storm because they're so powerful. Um, you know, a lot of these, you know, I, all of these nominations fulfill that, but uh, you know, what a great year for, for directors. Truly. Absolutely. Our next category is for best kill in 2022. We had some really unique and exciting and one of a kind kill scenes this year and our nominees are texas chainsaw massacre stop the bus terrifier 2 in the bedroom the sadness do you want fries with that barbarian splitting headache x later gator halloween ends dj tongueless and scream pain in the neck See what I did there? I, I gave each kill a little yeah. kind of funny little little tagline. I think my favorite was DJ Tongueless and how DJ you DJ Tongueless. <laughs> <laughs> Our winner for the 2022 best kill is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Stop the bus! What a fucking scene, man. This movie didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> this movie did not work for me literally at all. But it had some incredible gore and some incredible kills. Stop the bus is memorable. I also loved when he broke that guy's arm and shoved his bone through his face. Come on, the ambulance scene was great, but stop the bus was instantly iconic. It's unforgettable. It is quick and scary and gross and utilizes Leatherface in a very satisfying way, in a very unsatisfying movie. Yeah, this. I mean, I think this film had a, a, a tough reception people uh had a certain idea of what they wanted it to be and and it, for better or for worse it wasn't that but uh that particular sequence in the bus was like if the whole film could have captured that quality in that scene we would have had you know a real showstopper on our hands but that scene you know is something like when i think of the film i think i think i have more affection for it because of that scene than I would otherwise have. Uh, it, it, I'll probably rewatch it just to see that scene. Um, it is such a badass, fucking cool kill sequence. <laughs> just Leatherface doing his thing in the way that, you know, for whatever else people might have thought of the film, that scene brought it. And, uh, and it was good to see Leatherface back in action. It kind of captures the quirkiness and over-the-top feel of Texas Chainsaw 2, in my opinion. And yeah. yeah, it was totally welcome. Now, listen, Terrifier 2, the bedroom scene is, it took the world by storm. It literally had people throwing up in in, in the theaters. Uh, the, the gator scene, poor Brittany Snow in X, like, you know, the, cutting the tongue off in Halloween ends. It, there were some really great unexpected moments. Stop the Bus, I think, is the one that people really talked about. And it, it, I think it, it's going to go down in history as one of the most memorable kill scenes in any horror film. Totally. Our next category is for best lead performances. This was really difficult. 
this was chainsaw five material i mean this was this was like so much great work from so many wonderful actors this year but we had to choose two the nominees for best lead performance for 2022 are daniel kalua for nope josh rubin a wounded fawn joseph winter deadstream Timothy Chalamet, Bones and All, Sebastian Stan for Fresh, Jesse Buckley for Men, Jamie Lee Curtis, Halloween Ads, Kiki Palmer for Nope, Amber Midthunder for Prey, Mia Goth for Pearl, Rebecca Hall for Resurrection, Micah Monroe, Watcher, Georgina Campbell for Barbarian, and Taylor Russell for Bones and All. The winners for the Dead Carpet Award for Best Lead Performance are Mia Goth for Pearl and Rebecca Hall for Resurrection. Two incredible performances, honestly. Like, it's such fierce, incredibly nuanced, unique, relatable, but ethereal performances by two of the greats working in the genre right now. I mean, Rebecca Hall has become, to me, if I see her name in is in the credits of something, I will watch it. I don't need to know anything else about it. That's good enough for me. Rebecca Hall's in it. I'll watch it. She is just so unafraid to go to wherever the movie takes her. And she seems to choose things there and I take her to pretty, uh, pretty intense places. I mean, her work in resurrection was like, just, I, you cannot take your eyes off of her in that, in the film. She is, you know, so unafraid to play characters. I think that, that, um, that other actors might be self-conscious about, you know, do I look, a certain way or are people going to dislike me in this or you know where's the where's the appeal of this character it doesn't seem to me that any of that stuff concerns Rebecca Hall when she's choosing a performance um Mia Goth you know creating this character that's uh you know we we sort of have empathy and sympathy for but she's strong and she is this this was a Pearl was a character, you know, we saw first in X and what a resounding success that performance was, you know, what a nuanced, beautiful performance. And when I heard that they were releasing this this film, Pearl, and, and we were going to see sort of the, the sort of how this woman becomes the woman we see in X. Um you know, I I, I was my interest was peaked, but but to to see what she did in Pearl, it was such a monumental achievement. What incredible performance twice, but uh, certainly in Pearl, there's there's something about her in that film that is just hypnotic. Uh, you know, of course, that I think now iconic closing credits shot uh, speaks for itself. Um, if you haven't seen the film, I don't know why you're not watching it right now, but uh, what, a, what an incredible piece of, of work from one, again, one of the genres greats. Um, uh, just you know two incredible performances by two of our great performers absolutely i mean it's no surprise mia goth was one of the winners here she gave she gave three incredible performances maxine and old pearl in x and then young pearl in pearl she she makes you believe and honestly root for a character that should not be, should not have our support that eight minute monologue at the end of the film 
is heart-wrenching. I shudder to think how many times, how many takes that took and how long she had to put herself through that emotional whirlwind where she spills her guts all over that dining room table and just fesses up to who she is as a person. She's accepting the fact that she's a monster. And, you know, her mom is telling her, you have to settle. You know, you, you have to accept the things that you're given. And that's when she does, you know? And it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. Rebecca Hall, interestingly enough, also has a several minutes long monologue in Resurrection. What an incredible approach to a film that is, it's an uncomfortable film to watch. And she adds to that in the best way possible. During her monologue, when she starts looking into the camera, you don't realize that she's looking at you until she's already been doing it for a couple of minutes. It's heartbreaking and scary. She and Tim Roth play very well off of one another. He does an incredible job in the film. It is Rebecca's movie. And man, is she everything you said is completely true. She approaches roles that some actors might be afraid to and just blows them out of the water. I can't wait to see what she does next. She was wonderful in the night house, incredible in resurrection. She truly, truly is one of today's best actresses. I think that both of these performances were Oscar worthy and it's a real fucking shame that the Academy does not recognize genre films because I mean, Scorsese wanted Mia Goth to be nominated for an Oscar. He was backing her, you know, to have his support who is, you know, he's cool, but he's kind of a film snob, <laughs> you know, is, uh, I love that. About <laughs> oh, I do. I do too. I love all of his commentary on Marvel movies. I mean, <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> And it's it's crazy too. Like I'm just reading the list of nominees and like wow, like there were so many great performances. I mean, you know, to to get Jamie Lee Curtis giving her final send off to Laurie Strode after all these years, you know, and and in a divisive film for sure. I I mean, I've talked about this on your show, on my show. I love the film. I, I you know, I I think it's it's a really ballsy conclusion to to David Gordon Green's trilogy, but. But Jamie Lee Curtis was incredible, and in and and I have to give a, a an extra shout out here to Sebastian Stan and Fresh, who I think uh, gave a a shocking kind of out of left field performance. Uh, he's such a, a strong actor, and he's been doing a lot of great work. And you know, but I think people are mostly familiar with him for for the superhero stuff. So to see him do something so creepy and and unsettling, and, but but still bring some charm to it, uh, it, it you know, the, again, just what a, this is a tough call. I mean, it's. This, these are so many great performances here, but you know, Amber Mid Thunder for Prey, what an incredibly remarkable performance! I can't wait to see what she's going to do next. Um, but uh, yeah, Mia Goth and Rebecca Hall for, for Pearl and Resurrection, just such incredible achievements! Absolutely, fresh snuck up on me. I missed it, you know, somehow last year, and I only saw it recently. And you're right, I mean, I he's he's fucking great in that movie, he's not just a pretty face, he's talented too. Oh, yeah. But congratulations to Mia Goth and Rebecca Hall. And frankly, I want to thank them both for these just raw and open and vulnerable performances because they moved me and they moved a lot of people. Absolutely. We've come to our final category of the ceremony. Best horror picture. Each one of these nominees deserves to be recognized. They were surprising unexpected, moving, and just excellent. Our nominees for Best Horror Picture, the Dead Carpet Awards 2022 are Pearl, X, Barbarian, 
Resurrection. Nope. Prey. The Black Phone. Watcher. Mad God. Orphan First Kill. The Menu. And Deadstream. And the Dead Carpet Award for Best Horror Picture of 2022 goes to X. This was a really difficult category. A another chainsaw fight. And yet we kept coming back to this film in its ability to affect so many viewers. We really have gushed about it a couple times already and I can't stop, I won't stop. I love this movie. It is one of my favorite horror films of all time. I knew it as soon as it ended the first time I watched it. It is scary, just like you said, sexy and moving and sad and shocking. There's nothing I don't like about it. And for yeah, that- it's interesting to look at a film that I think, you know, could have just turned into a love letter to other movies, you know, uh, or, or sort of just attempt to emulate a, a bygone era of, of genre filmmaking. It doesn't feel like any of that, though. It feels like its own thing. And it is its own thing. And it's Ty West's vision of a, of a of an era of filmmaking that uh, is behind us. But but he made it feel uh, as relevant and sort of I think it, there's such a, a a quality to X that um, it's you know it, it's a testament I think to any movie when it stays with you for a long time afterwards it's to me it's always sort of the qualifier for a great movie is that in that that it's uh it stays with you um, and all of these movies under this category did that for me on, on one level or another and all, all of these movies are an achievement on their own right but um X is a film that I think people will be talking about and, and discovering and rediscovering for a long time. You're absolutely right. There were a couple of unexpected as well in this category. Deadstream, I think, deserved a lot more recognition than it got. It took found footage and made it relevant and fun and scary. I think it's a very original take on that subgenre. The Menu, what a remarkable fucking movie. Genre crossing in a way. It's a horror movie for people who don't like horror movies. Orphan First Kill should not have worked. Didn't have any expectations for it, and I had the best time of I my life. I think people expected it to not work. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and yet we all watched it anyway because we were curious, and man, did they really surprise us. You know, Mad God, what a remarkable feat in filmmaking. Was it 30 years in the making, 20 years yeah, in the making? I mean, Phil Tippett is such an icon and stop motion is such a beautiful process. And, you know, what a crazy, beautiful, sort of unique vision this that film is. And, and you know, I'm so glad that the Tippett got the chance to complete it after all these years. And, and for an audience to get to experience all its craziness, it's, you know, what a what a great um, achievement. And, you know, in, in, a, in a sort of subgenre, I don't even know if it really exists anymore. The stop motion animation genre film. Like, is mm -hmm. that a thing? If not, I think Mad God reminds us that it ought to be. You know, we, we talked about how creepy and suspenseful Watcher is. The Black Phone is scary as hell. Prey is, you know, surprising. Nope is gorgeous and sweeping. Resurrection is upsetting and barbarian. And Pearl, Barbarian uh, just took us all by storm. And Pearl broke our hearts. But it was X that really truly just grabbed audiences and made a Ty West fan out of every single one of us. 
if we weren't already. And those are our winners for the year 2022. We've already, in 2023, seen some pretty surprising and influential horror movies, but there's a lot more to come. Megan and Skinamarink were polarizing yet popular films. Infinity Pool, kind of the same thing, honestly. Knock at the Cabin, Scream 6. Yeah, I mean, The Pope's Exorcist, but David Gordon Green's The Exorcist coming up. Renfield looks amazing. I mean, Can't wait. Nick Cage, come on, forget it. Uh, Evil Dead Rise, I loved the previous Evil Dead film. I'm excited to see what this one is. Bo is Afraid. Ari Aster, coming back to horror. Like, I, I will watch anything that man directs. 100%, yeah, he's the best. Insidious 5 supposedly taking us back to its roots isn't patrick wilson directing this one yeah i'm so excited i love patrick wilson cuckoo and saw 10 for christ's sake saw 10 <laughs> wow that makes me feel super old i know run rabbit run and a completely unnecessary reboot of the strangers we have deliverance with glenn close in horror salem's lot i'm super excited for that um parenting and i'm really pleased to say this next title Night bitch. Night bitch. I'm actually about to read the book. Amy Adams is going to be in the movie. And uh... and the best thing is all of these movies star Sally Field. You like me right now. You like me. <laughs> I would love, I would love to see Sally Field in Infinity Pool. <laughs> yeah. That's she a movie. So, I, she was so good in it. Yeah. That's a movie I want to watch. Brilliant performance. What do you mean? You can watch it. Okay. All right. <laughs> I have had the best time putting together this episode, Kevin. I am so pleased that our paths have crossed. It's always a remarkable time discussing horror with you. We, as mentioned before, had, I mean, no less than 15, probably closer to 20 hours of Zoom meetings discussing this episode. And it took that long because we can't stop talking to each other about horror movies. Yeah, and I, it was it's so fun too to just sort of like you know get into these films and in, in, in the, the level of nuance that you and I did while we were putting this together because it's you know you you talk to people about movies and it's just like oh did you see this yeah it was great I loved it so and so was good whatever but but we got into the weeds with all these movies like we really spent the time that these films deserve to discuss them and be thoughtful about the decisions we made and you know it was so much of a pleasure and a joy for me to to realize that uh um that i uh, that i could find a, a another soul in this world that's as much of a, a horror geek as i am um so uh i can't wait to do this again next year totally same here and you know i think we'll probably i'll have you on my show again long before that at least once <laughs> i want to thank listeners for taking the time to listen to us rant about our favorite films of 2022. Let us know what you thought. Send us some messages, comment on our socials. And, uh, you know, did you agree with us? Did you disagree? Reach and if out. you disagreed, why? And then yeah. we'll tell you why you're wrong. We'll tell you why you're wrong. Yes, we will. <laughs> to my listeners, you have to check out Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. I mean, his guests include Adrian Barbeau, D. Wallace, 
uh, Doug Jones. I mean, you have an incredible network of people in your life who have your your interviews are not interviews, they're discussions. And that is what keeps it so engaging. Also, you're just really good at it. And, uh, you know, like he mentioned, start with the most recent and then go back and start at the beginning because he doesn't have a bad episode at all. Well, thank you, Rick. Um, yeah, I, Rick or Treat is like, when I discovered your show, you know, I remember just sort of, I think you reached out on social media or something. And, and, and I'm totally guilty of that because I spend so much time crafting the show i've gotten really bad at checking out other people's shows because it's just a time thing uh but uh i just went down the rabbit hole it's so fun your your infectious enthusiasm for the things you talk about and and your knowledge and and you know it's it's it the best word i can use is infectious like cabin fever style infectious like it's just it's always fun to just kind of spend some time in your head hearing uh your your love and, and admiration for the movies that you talk about in your show i can't believe you called me infectious i thought i got that cleared up just well, kidding thank more you ointment. more ointment is all i can say about that. <laughs> it uh it's a blast it's it's been a you know a real incredible ride running a show and it is like a second full-time job but it's one that i'm willing to do and grateful i'm grateful to do and i thank all of my listeners and i i do hope that some of your listeners uh check me out as well uh because just because <laughs> thank you kevin for those sweet words well thank you rick I, this as i said was a real joy and I, I can't wait to do it again next year and i want to thank the wonderful beautiful people that check us out every week on spill your guts and i want to say hello to the listeners of the brick or tree podcast um you know i think it's it's fun to get to delve into to these films the way that we get to uh you know we we our shows are different but the same um and i think our are just unabashed very evident love of, of the people who make these films and the films themselves is um part of our bond but but also it's uh infections all right well don't itch it or it's never gonna heal <laughs> you gotta want it to heal Ugh, that's nasty all yeah. right listen thank you kevin thank you listeners and uh we'll see you all next year and uh and talk about this year's movies thank you so much watch horror movies go to the theaters vod that shit however you need to just don't pirate it it's don't pirate good. it support horror give them your money yeah Give us your money. <laughs> Bye. Later. See you later. Bye.